Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On this edition of the Triple Double Podcast, Matt and Justin discuss how the increasing COVID cases in Florida and the U.S. could cause trouble for the upcoming restart of the NBA season. They also break down the potential of another bubble league in Chicago and discuss the anniversary of the decision featuring LeBron James. As always, you can get in touch with the show through email at triple-double-podcast at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Back with another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, man? Happy belated Fourth of July. We're recording this on the fifth. Hope you all had a great Fourth of July weekend as well. How are you doing, man? Good, man. Good. I'm just glad just to have a safe holiday. Of course, it's different um, considering just the circumstances um, we're in currently, but it was not a bad holiday. How was yours? It's been good, man. It's been really good. I've, I think it's just, uh, just always one of my favorite weekends of the year. I know this year has been different for everyone, but still nice just to kind of hear the fireworks going off. People in my neighborhood weren't too crazy. Kids were able to sleep and everything, so we're good. I can't complain. Nice. Uh, same deal. Just uh, went saw some fireworks. Um, they were launching them everywhere um, within Albuquerque. So we just kind of social distance and just caught them from a distance at a park. So it was a pretty cool holiday. Can't complain. Absolutely. Yeah, they were coming from all angles in our neighborhood. So it was yeah. kind of maybe the social distancing had people uh, upping their firepower, so to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> On um, today's show, we're going to break down the rising coronavirus cases in not only Florida, but in the United States and how that's going to affect the NBA. We're going to break down a potential for another bubble league in Chicago, and then we'll discuss the 10-year anniversary of the decision. Um, that was just to mark LeBron James deciding to leave Cleveland to head to Miami. We all know what happened there, so we'll discuss that. But before we get down to business, there's some quick housekeeping um Thanks for you guys to check out. Uh, remember, we have our entire archive, our, our shows featuring tons of guests from journalists to uh, basketball personalities, as well as our full recap of The Last Dance. So if you just have something to do during quarantine, please check our back catalog of episodes out. You can check that out through iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And of course, um, get in touch with the show through triple double podcast at gmail.com. So, man, let's not waste any time and let's discuss the latest news with the NBA that, of course, concerns the rising coronavirus cases. Um, before we get into your stats, Matt's, uh, of how these you know cases could threaten the potential of the league, um, could you kind of give us the, the layout overall of the entire country where we're at it's July 5th? And then, of course, this can I give your opinion how this could affect the NBA resuming play? Well, I think overall across the nation, and, and I don't have specific numbers pulled up nationwide, so I do apologize for that. Oh, no worries. But, um, you know, it does seem like cases are going up, but some of that is probably attributable to increased testing as well. 
as we've gone along here. So death rate also is going down, and it seems like overall the numbers are trending younger as, as far as who is getting exposed to coronavirus. So perhaps people in their 40s and younger uh, getting tired of being pent up in social distancing as we knew would be bound to happen at some point. Um, going out, um, you know, maybe, I mean, a lot of these uh, media outlets are tying this to Memorial Day. We also know that protesting began the day after Memorial Day. So there, there have obviously been a lot of things that have happened uh, to cause increased exposure, increased cases, et cetera. But I think overall, the good news is that the death rate is going down from what we can tell. And so it seems like the the virus is really not having the impact that it had on elderly folks, especially folks uh, 65 years and older. So, so I don't know, you know, you can, you can look at that information however you would like to. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about those numbers. I do think death rate going down is a positive, um, but this virus isn't going away right now. Uh, to get a little more specific, and then, of course, I want your thoughts on all these numbers, Justin, but for the NBA specifically, we had another update on July 2nd. I'm looking at an article from NPR that said that another nine cases uh, for NBA players were discovered between the 24th and 29th. Um, and so overall, 7% of the league, in terms of players, have tested positive for coronavirus. Um so 25 players out of the league total have had coronavirus. And then when you look at staff, um, there have been 10 positive tests on NBA team staff out of 884 staff members. So really, really even a lower percentage there. Um, and you have to wonder, of course, if, if that's tied to players being very active in BLM protests and things like that. But regardless, um, 25 total cases for players across the league. Uh, it has been uh, a very small incidence, um, but larger definitely than uh, than nationwide, um, if, if you're looking at those numbers, I think. So any thoughts on these numbers as, as you hear me read them off, Justin? Um, just a couple of thoughts. One is just the testing is just sporadic, right? So True. what I've heard with the test rates is that even though the deaths are going down, that's not necessarily a correlation that things are getting better just because there's like that two week delay. So what I'm looking for is since the coronavirus cases are spiking now, two weeks from now, what is the death rate, right? What is the hospitalization rate? Then what is the death rate? Because in two weeks, if it's the same or dropping, then to your point, then maybe there is correlation with the virus um, having more of its harm on older people. But if we see younger people going to the hospital more and younger people getting killed from this more, then that's going to be a huge um, a huge concern. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see on, on that. I, I know there's already some increases in hospitalizations already, so, so that's certainly very unfortunate. I think in terms of the NBA, I don't really understand... At this point, they're not having a plan B. I, that boggles my mind, considering I've heard from kind of other leagues they've had a kind of a plan B. Like, for instance, I always bring this up, but the UFC, they've had all kinds of contingency plans if things don't go right. And I'm just wondering with the, the NBA, I know they're a bigger league. They have a lot more 
uh, people to to worry about in terms of restarting play, but at the same time, not to have a backup city. I, I don't understand, let alone what we're going to talk about later, is there's trying another bubble league in Chicago. Wouldn't a backup league be in Chicago? I mean, I, I would think there'd be some kind of a contingency plan if Florida just continues to downward turn. So um, with these cases, I think it's a wait and see. From what I've seen so far, just in terms of other sports resuming their leagues and most notably since this started, the WWE and the UFC being the most active out of any entertainment or sports, um, whatever you call it, leagues or companies. From my knowledge, we haven't seen any deaths that have been reported from those entities, um, even though we've seen positive tests from them. So I'm interested to see of all these COVID cases, what exactly um, – how those results are going to pan out. It's it's a weird thing, Matt, because it's because of HIPAA laws. Um, you don't want to put everybody's business out there in terms of them testing positive for this virus. At the same time, it is nice to have some knowledge as to kind of track, okay, this person got it. Did they recover? How bad was it? You know, in the case of like Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell to, you know, Kevin Durant got it. So we really don't know in terms of Durant what the extent of his bout of the disease of the excuse me, the virus um, was. So I'm just I was interested to know who of these tests, um, how many of these players are asymptomatic, if they recovered all the way. Um, so we can have some more knowledge just to how this is going to work. Because the bottom line is that when, when the league resumes, which I think it's going to resume no matter what, you know, you're going to have players test positive, personnel test positive. I just think the major issue is going to be if you have a team that's even 10% positive, are they automatically disqualified for whatever part of the playoffs that's going to be? So I'm curious to see what's going to happen with that. Yeah, absolutely. To your point about the NBA not having a plan B, I, I actually have the quote pulled up from Adam Silver, so I'll just oh, read nice. that off yeah. to give you guys uh, some context as to what Justin means there. Um, so Adam Silver uh, stated he's pretty confident the league is on track to restart on time this month. This is from the same NPR article that I'm looking at. So um, here's this quote, quote, if there were something to change that was outside of the scope of what we are playing for, certainly we would revisit our plans. We are testing daily. We haven't put a precise number on it, but if we were to see a large number of cases and see spread in our community, that would of course be a cause to stop as well, end quote. Uh, so as you said, very vague, not really a plan at all there, just kind of if it spreads, we're going to shut it down. You'd have to think, I mean, my, my opinion on that, you'd have to think as we get closer to the actual tip-off, they're going to fill in those blanks with some numbers. I, I think it would be a little bit outrageous if that didn't happen, if they want to be taken seriously and just instill good faith in the players uh, that are putting themselves at risk, uh, even if it is a minor risk by you know, what the data is showing and how we respond to coronavirus and how younger athletic populations respond, it still is a risk. So they need to put some numbers on that, just kind of dot your I's and cross your T's, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. I think whatever's going to happen, unless 
the, the government gets involved, whether it's state or federal, they, I think the NBA is going to resume no matter what. There's too much money on the line. There's too much investment in this bubble idea on the line. I think they're, they're kind of too far into it to turn back now. And unless there's really two things. One, the government getting involved, or two, we see probably 30 anywhere it's probably 30 percent or more of the players testing positive for this thing i mean that's the only way i think people you might say 30 percent is a low number but 30 percent i mean that's pretty high not to mention the how contagious this virus is um i just see them not continuing this from a safety standpoint but i think it's going to be pretty dramatic uh, for them to to hold off yeah yeah i'm i'm with you there i don't think there's almost anything really like you said, other than those outside factors you mentioned that can stop this season from happening. At the end of the day, money talks. That's what we've been saying the past few weeks. I do think it's it's a really good sign that the the worst adverse effect that we've heard from a player getting coronavirus is, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you guys listening to this, get at us on Twitter, at TripDubPodcast. We're happy to hear that. Uh, but the worst thing I have heard is that Rudy Gobert still has um, loss of sense of smell. Um, And so I guess that would be my greatest fear is that we don't know the long-term effects of the virus. So if, if you're making the extra cautious, we shouldn't have the season argument, I think that's your best argument there. And the reality is there's a lot of money driving this and we don't know the long-term effects of this virus. So I think the NBA is just going to uh, willfully go into this just because we, we don't know that. And, you know, of course we we all hope that, that there are no long-term adverse effects um, like to the lungs, to cardiovascular system, et cetera. And we just won't know that for years to come. So, I mean, time will tell as far as that goes, but for these immediate short-term effects, it, it seems to be that, most of the players that have tested have been asymptomatic. Um, and then the, the other players that have tested have had uh, just very mild symptoms, uh, just kind of a, a really unpleasant cold. And I don't have numbers, I think in large part due to HIPAA, we don't have uh, exact numbers, uh, but I have heard that there have been, uh, the majority of cases have been asymptomatic. Yeah. I feel you, man. Did you have anything else you wanted to uh, say about this topic? No, let's move forward to the bubble league in Chicago. Yeah. Um, let's, let's discuss this bubble league because this came as a complete shock to myself. I don't know about you, Matt, but um, I was truly amazed as to the NBA considering a, a non-playoff bubble in Chicago. Um, according to ESPN, NBA is considering a second bubble, of course, for in Chicago, Illinois, where the eight teams left off the playoff picture. Um, and this comes from um, a WGN 9 um, report, but also citing a lot of ESPN's work in this. Um, this says, quote, the plan reportedly includes mini camps, exhibition games, and a league to aim for a September restart. Um, teams who did not make the trip to Orlando are rumored to be favored. Um of organized workouts in their home markets, but the commissioner, um, Adam Silver, said that the bubble, the bubble protocols will take place league-wide. Um, I don't really understand this, personally, Matt. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. 
if you have any more insight on this, I would love to hear it. But if I'm one of these playoff teams currently, I don't really see the benefit of doing this. Um, I think from a league standpoint, the only benefit would be is that they are missing games from their television contracts. I'm not sure if that's 100% right, but from a player standpoint, I, I if my team's out of it, I don't understand why you would participate in this, especially with just the health risk involved. Um, I can see if, honestly, if magically the coronavirus has disappeared tomorrow and, you know, it was perfectly safe, I can see kind of the, the losing teams participating in this just from a um, health standpoint and just kind of get their legs back under them. That makes sense to me. But considering how unsafe it is right now, I think, you know, or a high um, risk of getting the virus via travel, um, I, I don't really see the benefit of this second bubble. But could I be wrong? Um, well, I I don't think so, man. I think this is like, this is all subjective because we're in new uncharted territory. I mean, really with 2020 as a whole with a lot of things we've been dealing with we're in new uncharted territory that's true so i definitely think that there's a good case you know there's not championship implications on the line but just to be more interesting let me let me take the other side here um and so so jackie mcmullen broke this story and uh i have it here from an article on yahoo sports that I guess Detroit Pistons coach Dwayne Casey explained the benefits to Jackie McMullen. He told McMullen that the second bubble would allow teams to come together and build camaraderie. Casey also argued the long-term layoff could negatively impact players' careers. Uh, so I think kind of what we were talking about with players sitting out the rest of the even competitive season, um, there could be a detrimental effect to your career if you sit out and say it's a contract year, that could be it for your journey in the NBA. Like like we talked about, listeners may remember, I was mentioning if you're like the 10th guy on the bench and it's a contract year, could definitely be negative to sit out and, and not be seen, not be recognized for your skill, for any opportunity that you get to be able to stay in the league because it's not a done deal. Um, so I think there could be some element of that um, I do think that there may be an element of this that maybe outside of what the media is reporting, I, I mean, take myself, for example, um, I, I feel very fortunate to continue working through this coronavirus. Um, I am so thankful to have a job and, and continue working and make money to support my family. Um, if, if I had the choice you know, I I mean, obviously there's a difference. I, I'm not making what an NBA player would make or even a, a, a large fraction of that. But um, I think there's, there's a mindset that you would prefer to work than to sit at home. And, and I think some players may feel that way, even if they won't say it on the media. So maybe, and, and again, this is my subjective opinion. I don't have any any citations for this or any sources, but there could be a, a strong contingent of players that maybe feel like, Hey, these 22 teams are getting to play. Why can't we play some more basketball? Now, ultimately, I don't think that's a player driven thing. I think this is happening because there's an opportunity to make more money for one thing. There's an opportunity, um, 
and, and if you take it up to the ownership level, you have eight owners now that are looking around saying, hey, these 22 teams get more games, get more revenue. Uh, why don't why don't we get that opportunity? So I think there's an element of fairness involved in the league. And that would be my honest argument as to why this this bubble league should happen. Now, it's definitely like like you were mentioning earlier, your points earlier. Uh, I think that's a totally fair take, too, that it shouldn't happen um, based on the coronavirus and, and where we are right now. Um, but I think the reason it's happening is just to keep fairness happening across the league, same number of regular seasons games. Um, we don't know too much about how this league is going to play out. So I'll be curious to see how many games they're playing. Is that going to line up with what they're doing in Orlando uh, or what these other details are? But, you know, that's that's kind of what I take away from it. Uh, Illinois... Chicago, it's it's another big city. I mean, it may not have quite the case numbers as Florida. I would need to look at that to confirm that. But it is a big city, a big area, um, and it is a it has been a hot spot for the coronavirus, as as pretty much all big cities have been. So, um, you know, I I definitely hear your point about <laughs> taking extra risk from coronavirus. And from a fan standpoint, I'm wondering. Is this going to be really entertaining? I mean, there's got to be something on the line here. If this is going to be game guys, you know, just playing games for really, really no reward or no prize at the end, just to play. I, I don't really see the point of this. I think this idea needs to be flushed out first. So I'm willing to kind of hear it out before I completely just smash it into a billion pieces. Um, at the same time, I'm just deeply skeptical, um, just because of. The, the kind of the, the danger of this virus and just the the unknown kind of risk factors and not to mention just the resources too i mean from a league standpoint do you want to spend you know i mean i think i heard it's 150 million dollars i think to um keep yeah. this current bubble going so how much is this bubble gonna go um and not to mention are you gonna get a return on your investment by people watching watching this bubble i mean we've seen it from kind of the the numbers I've seen from the UFC and boxing, like UFC has been putting on regular fights. People want to see their ratings are high. Top ranked boxing on ESPN. Those are no name fighters. The ratings have sucked. So mm-hmm. I think with the NBA, same thing goes here. I mean, if the Bulls are playing the Knicks, I'm a Bulls fan, but I, I don't want to see that <laughs> um, on just on a regular day. I'll, I'll watch Hamilton on Disney Plus or something. Um, <laughs> It's I, I just don't see from an entertainment standpoint either how that's engaging the NBA viewer unless there's something on the line even if it's draft picks or I don't know team that makes it best record gets into the Orlando bubble um, I I'm open to that something like that but just to have these teams play for no reason I, I'm not a huge fan Yeah I think the only long term thing you could argue would be draft position. Uh, sure. Because the these eight teams that are left, I mean, we already know they are statistically, um, it's impossible for them to make the playoffs. We know that they, they can't get up to the eight seed. Uh, I mean, even if the current eight seeds lose all of their games in Orlando. So, so there are no postseason implications. I mean, unless the NBA does what you and I have been rooting for in like some kind of specialized tournament, 
uh, and and put something on the line, like maybe you take away the automatic eight seeds that teams are getting into Orlando and there will be two Chicago teams coming in, but that that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense unless you're rearranging the entire team, team structure and team layout and having those teams that aren't in contention right now go to Chicago. So you would be adding four teams into Chicago, make it a 12 team bubble. And the, the winners of this, this tournament, like number one and number two, or however you do it, however you design the brackets, uh, those two teams become your eight seeds. Now you have something that is entertaining and that you and I would probably watch. I, I would assume, I mean, not even just to cover it for the podcast, but we just, be curious about it. Um, interestingly enough, they had an eight-team conference call to discuss the details of the bubble. Uh, I, I was just reading this a little bit before we got started, and the New York Knicks declined to join the call. So seven teams, actually, I guess, were on that call. The New York Knicks did not want to play ball, both figuratively and literally. The Knicks, I guess, are, are very opposed to going into this tournament, which is... I. I guess kind of odd uh, compared to what I, I've seen other baubles. Uh, it, se- it seems like they are uh, very against going into this bubble, which which I would have thought James Dolan would be all for going into it. But maybe, maybe he figures there's some extra liability or something, or maybe he is uh, just genuinely concerned for, for his players and obviously with no playoff shot on the line at the moment – Maybe he just um, doesn't see the point. I don't know. But I thought that was interesting. <laughs> well, I think also, like, you can be on the call and be opposed to participating. I mean, True. I, don't, I don't understand why you can't be on the call. Um, totally agree. It's not like anything else is going on. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that, that seems pretty petty to me. But we'll see. Yeah. I think hopefully this idea gets fleshed out. I'm willing to hear more. But at the surface right now, I'm... I'm not a fan, but we'll see. Things could change. This is a highly fluid situation. You never know. It could be a week from now. It could be the greatest idea ever. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, and I just wonder if it's yeah. something that is being vocalized to the players' union that these other 22 teams are going. We're taking a risk. Why do these guys get to sit out and we go? I, I wonder if it's something like that for looking for more equal treatment because there is a regular season component to Orlando. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the other teams that are going, they it's not like they're playing for nothing. I mean, they're they're trying to go win a championship. And that goes with, you know, incentives as well, right? Bonuses within your contract and everything. So there there is a benefit of participating in this in this bubble other than just um, maintaining the status quo. True. So so We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see that this, this idea fleshed out a little bit more. Um, our last topic, and this is something that is a blast from the past, but the, the 10th year anniversary was, do you know when exactly? Was it this past week? Or do you know the day exactly? July 8th, 2010. Gotcha. So geez, we're not even there yet. We're um, almost there. We are three days away from the 10 year anniversary. I figured we'd talk about it before it yeah. flies by us. <laughs> ESPN has a great video. Um, I think it's called Backstory. Excuse me. <clears throat> and they go behind the scenes of the whole decision. So they basically um, they have different interviews kind of describing the behind the scenes, 
some never before seen footage of Jim Gray and LeBron, just how like Kanye West was in attendance and how LeBron had, I think, <laughs> lunch with Kanye and how LeBron had to shoot these promos for the TV special and how he was like super nervous. And that's how there's just so much tension around just this one event um, going on. So I can't believe this is, you know, 10 years ago. So people yeah. may not be enlightened to what happened, but in a nutshell, LeBron James was courting other teams for um, being a free agent. So LeBron James wanted to test the waters, so there was multiple teams in line for his uh, free agency, right? So the, the Bulls were a contender, the Knicks were a contender, as we all know, the Miami Heat were a contender. Uh, many pundits were discussing different options, uh, but when the special started, um, I think there was a consensus with um, Chris Broussard and Michael Wilbon that LeBron was going to Miami. So basically, this special took place at the Boys and Girls Club, I think in Connecticut. And they did this big TV special. Even um, the producers said they wanted to extend it as much as possible. So they're basically asking LeBron just these idiotic questions just to um, <laughs> extend it, um, the drama. So you didn't get the answer immediately. It was just a lot of just kind of uh, stalling and just waiting until you, you got to the end to, to get the most amount of viewers. Um, I guess I want to ask you, Matt, there, there's several angles to take – from this, and we could spend a whole hour on it. But I guess my question to you is twofold, and that goes to the impact on LeBron and the impact on free agents in the league. And I guess I want to get to LeBron last, but in terms of free agents leaving, um, most notably, probably the most high profile, the one that had a lot of scrutiny was Kevin Durant going to um, the Golden State Warriors from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you think that special was ultimately just a tale of how not to announce your free agency? Or do you think we'll see a player, I don't know, sometime in the new future, try it again and, and just kind of do it a little bit differently to avoid the backlash? Or do you think it's impossible if you're going to do it in any kind of way LeBron did it, there's just going to be a high amount of scrutiny? See, the I think the... The thing that <laughs> the thing that really spun it a negative for LeBron, I, I think everyone, including myself, thought when he has this TV special, oh, okay, cool. He's going to make it an event, but he's going to stay with Cleveland. I, I think that was a lot of people's assumption, uh, despite hearing things from Chris Broussard, Michael Wilbon, like you said. I think Stephen A. originally broke it even before Chris Broussard did. Um, I think but so. then there was kind of wavering from LeBron's camp as well um, and reports that he didn't know until the morning of what he was going to do. So it, it was a truly tough decision for LeBron. But anyway, getting, getting back to that, I think if LeBron stays in Cleveland, um, you know, you're looking at this from the angle that he raised $3 million in charity for boys girls club. And I think we're thinking of this a lot differently. Like, yeah, that's that's terrible for those other teams that are courting him, but he stayed with his team. He stayed with his community. We all feel good about that. He's going to be a Cleveland guy through and through. And he raised all this money for charity. And I think we would see it parroted quite a bit. I do think it'll happen again, for sure. I think it'll be more tactful. Um, and I think... 
so so one of the things that I heard in in various podcasts that I was listening to this week is that LeBron really handled this with his business team and Jim Gray directly. They didn't really have any writer tailoring his message. He really was doing this all ad-libbed, um, even though, you know, he he knew what questions were coming from Jim Gray, I'm sure. But the answers, you know, like, for example, the famous line, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. Like, if you had a writer writing something, you probably wouldn't say that. You you would say it a little bit differently <laughs> than that. That's uh, true. That just that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Obviously, uh, I mean there were practically riots in the street after the decision went down. Um, so I think you will see this happen again for sure. But I think it will be with a more handled player. And I think going back further to your original question here. Um, I think you've seen that happen. Like when Kevin Durant announced, he put an article up on the Players' Tribune, and I'm sure he had help crafting that message. When LeBron went back to Cleveland, he had um, uh, Lee Jenkins, was it, from, from I, Sports Illustrated? Correct me if I I'm wrong. So. I think so. I know there's a writer right. from Sports Illustrated. Yeah. I might have messed up the last name there. But anyway, um, players are now getting more help in crafting these messages. But I do think that the decision, I mean, it's it's an iconic moment in basketball history. I think it's the first time since Jordan that we all cared about a basketball issue. Like everyone, and not just from the hardcore NBA fan, but everyone, including the guy who pretends he's an NBA fan or knows about basketball, but really he just catches a game or two on the finals every year. Um everyone had an opinion about the decision. Was LeBron right to do it? Was he wrong to do it? Et cetera. So we, we had that, which I think was our first big moment since Jordan. Um, and I think it, it put a wedge between fans and players in really showing or maybe making us as fans feel like, oh, well, ultimately at the end of the day, these players are going to do what is best for them and that that's fine, by the way. I'm not opposed to that. Um, but there there isn't this, hey, we're all in this together. This is all of our team. I think that innocence maybe of that opinion kind of died with the decision because it's it's like LeBron was from Akron, drafted by Cleveland. He is Akron's kid, Ohio's kid, so to speak. And he left them. I mean, that stabbed fans in the heart <laughs> emotionally. And I think... Big time as well. Long term, I, I think it feels like there's a divide now that players are just going to leave when they want to leave and do what they want to do. And they are not really close to us as fans of any franchise, even if they've been here since first year out of high school. Um, I don't know. What, how do you feel about the long term effects on the decision for free agents? Um, I agree with you. I think from a PR standpoint, it looked really bad for LeBron. At the same time, if you follow basketball, you know that you know Dan Gilbert was a pretty terrible owner, so he had every right to lead, leave, excuse me. And so in terms of the players around him, and you even think about it, in Miami, immediately, you know, you have those three superstars, and the compliments that they had there um, was kind of the, the template moving forward, but 
those first few years with LeBron was really poor. And I think from an optic standpoint, it was it was pretty bad. Just with the way LeBron handled it, I think he looked very nervous. I think he looked pretty heartless just because, let's face it, he was the prodigal son of Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, he was born in Ohio. He played high school in Ohio. He was on a cover of Sports Illustrated and a high, you know, representing a high school from Ohio. I mean, and then he went to the Cavaliers. I mean, and really in a state that had not a lot of winning for that matter. So when he leaves and goes to Miami, and not only that, but an owner um, and, and Pat Riley, it, it, it goes to kind of if you're a Cavaliers fan, spit in the face um, of that of that fanship. Even though LeBron did raise a lot of money, if you're a Cavaliers fan, uh, you don't you don't care about how much money is being raised. You're burning your LeBron jersey. I think moving forward, I think you're right. Fans are more gun shy, and I think overall, this goes to your point of the of how you watch the NBA, Matt. I'm I'm in the minority. I, I watch it because I like teams battling against each other i'm a fan of a team i'm a bulls fan but you matt i mean you you're more in the, the side of watching players and i think that's pretty much where the league is going um that's you've seen it with this all the kobe fans right when kobe was in his prime there are fans of kobe they didn't care about the lakers they wanted to watch kobe bryant and we've seen this probably more than any other sport quite honestly where if there's a player on a certain team dominating and the opposing fans if their team is out of it or they're losing they're cheering the guy that's you know having a you know a pretty good game even though they're they're Mm -hmm. not playing for their team so it it, the the sport of basketball i think in terms of loyalty i I really think that's gone now so i think moving forward the whole purpose of a tv special probably won't even matter because it, it won't be news i mean from a um, fan standpoint, you won't get that outrage. It, it probably won't be. It'll be a big deal in terms of the shifting of power or how it, this player's going to look in a certain uniform. But in terms of that loyalty, it's it's probably fading away more, especially within the NBA. So I I, I see players, Matt. You know, I I think they may start doing um, these specials again. At the same time, I don't see it being such a big deal like it was for LeBron. Yeah. Yeah. You may be right. Um, I don't know. A lot of times history repeats itself. <laughs> I, yeah, I could totally true. see it happening, but you know, time will tell. And uh, you and I will definitely talk about it. If, if it does happen again uh, in even semi similar fashion, uh, I think, I think you make great points there in terms of, Loyalty uh, being just about gone in in the NBA, or at least there's the sense of that. I think um, again, it's it's kind of like a, a thing that maybe it's um, it's us being naive as fans or things like that. But you think the seven years that you get a player from their rookie year until they finally have the chance to be an unrestricted free agent, which is kind of unfair to the player if, if you think about it. I mean, they they have no choice in where they land, so. You know, at the time of the decision, I was very, very, and I, I was a fan of LeBron. I watched clips of him from high school before he got drafted. I was, I was watching highlight reels of what he could do. Uh, so, so I was in on LeBron 
before he was even in the league and and I've rooted for him uh, for for a long long time um, and so so at the time of the decision I was really bewildered at how fans reacted to it and again like you said in in 98 after the Bulls won their title and they dismantled that team and maybe a year or two later when I was old enough to realize why that happened and that it was that the ownership didn't want to put that team together. I, I was diehard Bulls fan like you. And then that happened and I said, okay, I'm sorry. I can't root for your franchise anymore. Um, and so, so like you said, I, I do tend to root more for players and things like that. And so I was very, very supportive of LeBron's decision to go to Miami. Um, and, and I think there are many sides that you can take on that and many criticisms that, that LeBron is deserving of for the way it went down, which I think most people agree. have the issue with. Not, not that he left, but the way he did it. And I think that's understandable. But it's interesting, as, as I get older, and hopefully maybe, maybe a tiny bit wiser, maybe not, I don't know, um, I, I do think of the decision in a negative light because of the way it it made basketball seem like such a business, which yes, it is. Um, but it, it ultimately has kind of made me more cynical just about professional sports in general. And, and I do kind of like, and, and, you know, again, maybe this is just nostalgia of the nineties and, and when I grew up watching basketball, but I, I do like when players play a full career on a franchise and you have that, special relationship between the player, the community, or at least the perception of it. Um, and I think we are, that, that is by far, it already was the exception more than the rule in the NBA. And now it just seems like we never expect a player to stay with one franchise for their whole career. And, and that's fine. If that's what the player wants, they have the right to go wherever they want to go, obviously. Um, but for the, I don't know, I guess kind of innocent view that I have to be like totally dead is a little disappointing to me. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling here. <laughs> Just to your point, Matt, um, I really do feel you because you, it is a sense of the that resentment you have that not, not yourself, but players do have of fans just of how much blood and sweat and tears they gave to the franchise and that means nothing because you went to another team. I mean, LeBron gave so much of himself. And mm -hmm. with those fans, if he never came back, they would hate him forever. And True. not even count what he did before. So it, it is pretty dis disheartening on that fact. And he was there for a long time. It wasn't like he was there for a couple of years and left. I mean, it was a genuine effort on, on his part to try to get Cleveland a title. Um, and, and I think with LeBron, it, it showed kind of his immaturity, to be honest, that that decision, because I think if he was his age, if LeBron was basically had to do that now, um, he would handle it a lot differently. And I, I personally think that he's learned from that and he's he's oh, grown yeah. from that. Um, and I agree with you, Matt, but ultimately his choice to go wherever he wants as a free agent is, is his decision. However, um, just, just the way he handled himself was, was rather poor. 
Yeah, yeah. And by the way, fans can be way, way more ridiculous than than a player making a move to a team, for sure. I mean, like like how we saw players burning jerseys. Uh, yeah. But I think the thing that really added insult to injury and kind of cemented it as a bad decision in the way it was carried out was the celebration that they had in Miami just a few hours later. Of course, just about anyone who remembers anything about basketball remembers LeBron's speech in his new Heat oh, jersey yeah. in front of his new semi-adoring fans that where he said, you know, I came here to win not one, not two, not three, not four, and he just kept counting. And rational people who liked LeBron at the time, like such as myself, are saying, dude, why why are you promising all this stuff? Um, <laughs> it, it was just, uh, just absurd, and it was kind of uh, interesting because I think at that time, being blasted on social media and being criticized – to the amount that then LeBron was after that evening, um, it wasn't really a thing. I mean, we kind of saw a shift with Twitter and social media becoming more important. And the decision also, I think, started this event of off-season free agency being a really, really fun and interesting time of the year for the NBA to sort of extend the season. Uh, you had the NBA draft and then... A few weeks after, you get this NBA free agency window. And now, ever since the decision happened, it's an event every single year. I mean, especially, of course, when you have a superstar, a multiple-time all-star who's a free agent. It it really is now its own spectacle. And in that sense, it's helped the league as a business entity. Um, but, you know, that that could be seen, I guess, as a positive side of this for the league as a whole. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it'll be interesting. And now just to, to wrap tie it all into the coronavirus, just, you know, free agency is going to be later in the year now. So how how is how is that calendar going to match up at least for this year to see, you know, free agency? We'd be talking about free agency now, to be honest, in normal circumstances. But instead, you know, the season's not even over yet. So everything's pushed. So I, I think moving forward, if the, if the season's going to be different, how – the NBA um, dominates the headlines with this free agency. It's going to be very interesting because it's going to interfere with other sports. Normally, it has its own space, um, but it could cross over where it's you know competing with those headlines for with the NFL and Major League Baseball playoffs. It, it's going to be very fascinating to see how the changes of the schedule um, is going to affect free agency, I guess, awareness with its fans. So. Definitely. Um, and I wanted to tie back. You had mentioned, you know, discussing this. I think we've done a good job of discussing the impact on the league. How do you think LeBron has recovered now? I, obviously, he has recovered. I think you and I would both agree from being, you know, the villain, the villainous basketball player in Miami, like staring road teams as fans down. Um how, how do you think he's recovered now looking back on this 10 years later? And what do you think is kind of his, his story arc and everything? I mean, not going into like greatest of all time type of talk, but just for him as an individual, how do you feel it's gone? Yeah, good question. I would say it's gone better. He's not considered a villain. That's good. 
um, it gets good for LeBron. I think the negative, and this will stick with him forever, is that he played with two superstars, and the majority of his titles were with two superstars. And that was with Chris Bosh, and that was also with Dwayne Wade. That's going to that's gonna harm him forever um, in terms of those kind of that argument that, you know, that's always wanted to be discussed, who's the greatest of all time. That's always in the in that realm of possibility. Um, I think in terms of his overall stature, I think him returning to Cleveland really did his reputation um, a lot of good. I think it helped the fans there to really, I think, in terms of improving his, I don't know what you would call it, his image around the league. He also improved it as well, him winning a title. I think it was kind of like a form a warm fuzzy feeling that you got as a fan is like oh he returned home and he got his team a title especially yeah. the way he did it too um the, the juggernaut known as the golden state warriors he, he did it against them so overall I, I think in terms of his stature in the league as if you want to i don't know in terms of kind of uh, a good guy, bad guy perception. I think it's pretty positively in kind of the the good guy realm in terms of not being a villain in the league. However, I know like you're saying, Matt, when you get into the greatest of all time discussion, when you're talking about titles, I think it really does hurt him in, in that regard. Interesting. Yeah, I think you know, I I still and I've I've already stated my bias that I'm a fan of LeBron. Uh, as a basketball player, and I, I think he still has a chance to be the greatest of all time in many people's minds. Um, now, that's always going to be a subjective argument that that really isn't provable, I think. But um, but I do think you look back at those Heat teams, and it also kind of was a statement, and and we haven't really felt the the echoes of that. Uh, until now, but I, I think you kind of learned that with the three mega free agency superstars, the way they did it, they left the rest of their roster so bare that it was detrimental to their their title run. I mean, they they got two titles in four years, if you didn't know, which is pretty great. And and going to four straight finals is pretty much unheard of. I mean, unless you're the stellar. 1960s Celtics or something like that. Um, so, so it's, I mean, I've, a successful run, I would say, to put it, put it lightly. Yes, he didn't get the not five, not six, all that. But mm-hmm. uh, right. for a four-year span, I mean, you're taking that if, if you're any team in the league in your right mind. Um, but I think those three megastars were so exhausted in those playoff runs. Like when they came up against those video game spurs that were just hitting threes, to get revenge on that 2013 title that they lost to Miami, where Ray Allen hit maybe arguably the greatest shot in basketball history. Uh, when he caught that, that pass in the corner and set his feet just perfect to win them that title in 2013. Um, you know, I think there, there are lessons that maybe GMs have learned from looking at that heat team that you really can't, now, again, super successful run, but it's not the ideal setup to put that on those guys. Because, I mean, look what happened to Dwayne Wade after the Miami dynasty. 
look what happened to Chris Bosch. Now there's some extra medical stuff there. Absolutely. That I mean, it was just, just horrible circumstances for Chris Bosch, who um, was kind of an unsung hero being the third wheel on that Miami heat team. Uh, but I think you see more consistency now, like when just talking about free agency from the last season, like you wanted, if you're the Clippers, you wanted Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You wanted your two stars and then keep your bench intact. You see what the Lakers did with getting LeBron James and Anthony Davis, build talent around them, leave some money for cap space. Now you could argue that bench-wise hasn't been a, a great setup for the Lakers, but they are the number one seed in the West at this point. So, so it's worked out okay. Um, so... You know, I do think that that it we've trended back to kind of two megastars with a stack team that can go like eight deep, uh, as opposed to in those Miami years. I, I I literally remember one of the finals broadcasts. I can't remember which game, but they were saying, "Are the Heat going to get 20 points from Mario Chalmers?" And that that's not a great place to be. No offense to Mario Chalmers had a successful NBA career for sure, but not a guy you should really be counting your title hopes on whether he scores 20 points or not. Yeah, that's true. Um, but no doubt that that was a, a historical moment in, in basketball history. And I think with Dwayne Wade's legacy too, I mean, you have to think about the consequences for him. I mean, he, he was rising, at, you know, Pretty as a seriously generational player, and I think still is, but no doubt, you know, LeBron he became the number one option, and, and Dwayne Wade fell back to number two, um, and he had to take on that sacrifice. So there's, there's yeah. all kinds of repercussions that that took place from the decision, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if that ever takes place again. Um, did you have any more thoughts on this, Matt? No, I, I think that's a pretty good dissection of of what happened in the decision and. The the after effects there. I have. I hope you guys enjoyed rehashing it with us. Let us know your thoughts on the decision. We'd love to, uh, you know, read them off. If you have any good insights on that, triple double podcast at gmail.com or at trip dub podcast on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page if you want to check that out. If you're more into Facebook, yeah, and then also check out our archive as well on any of your favorite podcasting. Um, platforms we have the last dance all of the episodes recapped we have requiem for our dreams recapped we also have interviews with guests from range from van tate who's the sports director at krqe 13 to brandon ortega to orlando sanchez um it, it ranges all over the map um it, it really is a great library of episodes to check out, especially to get insight to how the coronavirus is not only affecting the NBA, but it's affecting sports overall. So check all those episodes out. We have a really fun guest coming up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah. just stay tuned for episodes. Uh, if you're a nineties basketball fan, uh, you're going to want to hear from one of our guests that's coming up. Just going to tease that here before we exit. <laughs> For sure. And uh, that will be coming within the next uh, couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. So for Matt, um, Justin, have a pre have a very, very safe and uh, productive holiday. And we'll see you next week. Peace.